International medical graduates account for one in four physicians in the United States, but they often face substantial barriers to practicing medicine. A new Tennessee law aims to mitigate that state's physician shortage by reducing those barriers. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Hao Yu, an associate professor in the Department of Population Medicine at the Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare Institute and Harvard Medical School. Dr. Yu has co-authored a perspective article about Tennessee's new law and opportunities for additional legislation in this area. Dr. Yu, who fits under the category of international medical graduate, and how has the number of IMGs practicing in the United States changed over time? Oh, that's an interesting question. IMG, International Medical Graduates, were defined by Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education as those who graduate from medical school located outside the United States and Canada. So it's not only cover U.S., but also Canada. And over the years, we have seen a large number of IMGs practicing in the U.S. So as you said, now they account for nearly a quarter of all practicing physicians in this country. And usually they were more likely to be practicing in underserved areas like rural areas. They also are more likely to choose primary care specialty compared with graduates from U.S. medical schools. So what requirements do IMGs typically have to fulfill before they can practice medicine in the United States? And how have those requirements affected physicians, particularly immigrant physicians? There are two major requirements for most IMGs to fulfill before they can practice medicine in this country. Number one, for all IMGs, regardless of their citizenship status, they must complete a residency program in the United States, even if they have previously completed residency or practice medicine in another country, of course, with the exception of Canada. Although the purpose of such a requirement is to standardize training quality, it presumes that training in other countries are substandards. And this requirement forces IMGs to undergo duplicative clinical training with unclear benefits for their skills and the competencies. Unfortunately, some IMGs have difficulty completing training because of financial or social instability, and some even abandon resident training altogether. Another major requirement for IMG is to get a visa. This is particularly relevant for non-citizen IMGs. They have to secure visa before they can practice in this country. To do that, they either need to find a hospital who are willing to pay the filing fee to get H-1B visa. So that is a type of temporary visa allowing employers to hire foreign workers in specialty occupation. Because that's a filing fee, not many hospitals are willing to do that. So the major pathway for non-citizen IMG to enter into this country is through the J-1 medical trainee visa. That allows them to complete the resident training. And after that, they are required by law to return to their country of origin for two years before they can come back. Then about 30 years ago, Congress passed the Conrad program, allowing them to waive that requirement. But unfortunately, Conrad's waiver program nowadays only allow 30 slots 
each year, each state. So not a big number. So altogether, these two requirements represent major hurdles for IMG to practice medicine in this country. And in your perspective article, you describe the new Tennessee law that alters some of these requirements as far as when IMGs can practice in that state. So what will be different under this new law? Number one, the new Tennessee law offers a provincial licensure to IMGs. By provincial, that means all IMGs could apply for a license for valid for only two years. During that two-year period, they may practice medicine under the supervision of a Tennessee licensed physician. After that two years, they may receive unrestricted licensure and they can choose to practice in different locations of their choice. Then who are eligible for this new policy? According to the Tennessee law, this IMG must have already completed at least a three-year accredited international resident training program, or they have already practiced for three out of the previous five years. There are also additional requirements, like they must have been receiving the medical degree from a program certified by the Educational Commission for Foreign Medical Graduates. That's already existing. To pass U.S. medical license examination step one and step two tests, overall, such requirements will help IMGs avoid the mandated U.S.-based residency training. This type of provisional license program is very similar to those that have been implemented in Canada and the United Kingdom for the past three decades. What's significant of this Tennessee new law is that similar bills are also considered in other states like Arizona, Idaho, Massachusetts, Missouri, and Nevada, and also in Congress. So potentially policymakers in those states and also in Congress can consider implementing similar laws either in those states or nationwide. What do you think the prospects are for reform of the requirements for IMGs on a national level in this country? Is it something that federal policymakers are seriously considering? You are exactly right. Right now, IMG policy was implemented and considered jointly both by federal and state policymakers. Here in the Tennessee law case, we can clearly see that state-level policymakers have a bigger role to play in regarding the license policy. But when we talk about another major barrier for IMG to practice medicine in this country, that is visa policy, those definitely need federal policymakers' efforts. Here, I already talked about how Tennessee lawmakers try to reduce the barrier to license. Then for the immigration visa policy, definitely that is up to Congress to take further efforts. Finally, what effect do U.S. policies regarding IMGs have on brain drain in other countries? And should concerns about that phenomenon be factored into any legislation? I guess that's a, a difficult question. Number one, for policymakers, either at the federal or at the state level, their main purpose is try to increase physician supply in this country or in a specific state. They want to mitigate the adverse effect of physician shortage. But of course, now we are talking about global health. 
So this global brand drain definitely is a concern, but I don't think that's on the radar screen for state-level policymakers in particular. Maybe federal policymakers may consider that. And also broadly speaking, for international organizations like the World Health Organization, definitely global medical brand drain is a serious concern. Other international accreditation organizations is also considering different measures regarding to that brand trend. But overall, I don't think for any state-level policymakers, they will consider this. Broadly speaking, that really requires international efforts and the international coordination by organizations like the World Health Organization. Thank you, Dr. Yu.